Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like you to open your Bible with me to the book of John, John chapter 4. We're continuing our series titled The Exalted Christ. And um, man, I feel like today's message is deep. And um, I really want the Lord to give me grace to speak today this third time, but I also am asking him to give us grace to hear what the Spirit would say. Today's passage is unique because it addresses more than one topic. We could preach probably two or three sermons out of these verses that we're going to cover. And the way I, I, I feel to put this is that God has a way of addressing big issues and personal issues all at the same time. By big, I mean he has a way of, of uh, addressing issues in our culture. He has a way of of addressing issues in society, and yet at the same time, while he's teaching about these big things, he actually teaches about some very personal things. And today's passage is, is very much like that. And so I just want to jump right into it and touch on the big things and focus on the personal things today as we look at this text. So it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more, th more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now I want to pause here because this next verse is vitally important. It says, now he had to, he had to go through Samaria. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well it was about noon. Now stop right there. Verse 4 says, he had to go through Samaria. Now look at me. How many know God doesn't have to do anything? Nobody can tell God what to do. And God doesn't have to do anything. When the Bible says he had to, it's because his heart was driving him to. It was because he felt in his heart like he had to do something. And it was a reflection of actually, it was a reflection of his love. Now, when Jesus went through Samaria, this is very important for everyone to understand. This is one of those lines that there's a whole teaching in just these first uh, uh, six verses. Okay. The, the, the person at that time who was Jewish, understood that a good Jew doesn't go into Samaria. Because they looked down on the Samaritans and they, they, they separated themselves 
from Samaritans, and they would never, they would actually take the long way. They would walk around Samaria so they wouldn't, wouldn't quote, be defiled. But in one fell swoop, what Jesus did is he covered this long geographical distance, number one, and then he crossed racial barriers. Jesus, with this passage in this one statement, Jesus was showing in one of many instances that to him, he doesn't see a racial differences like the world sees racial differences. How many are thankful that we're all God's children? There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. It doesn't matter Puerto Rican or Asian or whatever we are. How many know we are all one in Christ Jesus? And that's what makes this moment so beautiful that we can worship God together. Jesus was breaking those barriers and crossing those lines that at the time no one else would cross. In addition to that, in that day, you'll see this in a moment, Jesus went there, he, he travels this distance, he crosses that line, and he also crosses a cultural barrier because he wanted to have a conversation with one person. All of what he was doing even though he was teaching something huge to, dis, to the disciples, actually all of this was about him having a conversation with one person. You know what this passage is teaching us is that Jesus will go a long way just to meet with one person. Okay, in a moment you're going to see that Jesus meets with a woman, quote, the woman at the well and he has this very powerful and personal conversation. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was trying to get my head around, how does this really happen? Okay, and, and uh, here's, I have an example for you. We're going to kind of Google Earth this moment. All right, look up on the screen. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus traveled from where he was. He crossed cultural barriers, he crossed racial barriers to go and sit down by Jacob's well that's right there in the middle to sit down so he can talk with one person. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so from 2,000 years ago, how many know Jesus is still traveling to meet with just one person? So look, why don't you, let's plug in right now, go ahead and plug in uh, Cicero Avenue. This is kind of to give you a little bit of, this is really a satellite view, but it's kind of a, a way to imagine God. Look at God traveling, traveling, traveling. And watch this. He gets where we are, and then watch him zero in on our lives. Down. Zeroing in. Down. Coming down to lock in. How many know the Holy Spirit is able to lock in on one person? I'm so glad when they took this picture, they got the church buses in there. Right? And there it is. Chicago Tabernacle. Look at me for a second. Do you believe that Jesus is still traveling to meet people? So he was teaching this gigantic lesson. But what you're going to see now is that he did all of this to meet with one person. And are you willing to believe that Jesus today wants to meet with you? The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you think about Jesus, do you realize how much Jesus will travel 
just to meet with you and just to meet with me. That's what today's message is about. Today's message is not talking about biblical history. Today's message is about the fact that Jesus will travel a long distance, regardless of where you find yourself today, just to have a meeting with you. Now let's look at what he zeroes in on when he has this meeting. Let's keep reading. This is so powerful. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Aren't you thankful that Jesus associates with people that other people won't associate with? That's the heart of God. That's the love of God. That's the power of the love of God. That's the power of the gospel. Let's keep going. Then Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone say living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, everyone stop and look at me for a second. Isn't it funny how Jesus is having a conversation with us about one thing and we want to have a conversation with him about another thing? You see, she's saying, Lord, I don't want to keep coming back to this well. And Jesus is talking about something way deeper. You see, this is what happens. It happened back then and it happens now. He wants to talk about A, we want to talk about G. But how many of we got to let God set the, set the table of the conversation? He's got to set the agenda. So he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say I have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. You have just said, what you have just said is quite true. That's when we go, oh snap. Because now, Jesus is putting his finger on something. Very deep. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit 
and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I, the one speaking to you, am he. So look up here for a moment. So here's what happens. Number one, Jesus addresses some, some pretty gigantic issues of that time. Issues of racism, issues of culture. He travels all of this distance to meet with a woman. And when he goes to meet with the woman, he zeroes in on something that was not only important then, but was also vitally important now. And the title of the message today is, What Are You Thirsting For? Because what Jesus wanted to talk to her about was thirst. Thirst is a very, very powerful thing for every human being. Thirst is something that drives us and that impacts our lives in a huge way. I didn't know this, but I was told today that even in our culture right now, I didn't know this, but in our culture, the, the, the word thirsty or the phrase, in a sense, thirsty is a double entendre. That in the world, when someone says thirsty, it means that they want sex. That they're thirsty for sex. But how true and how appropriate it is. Thousands of years ago, that Jesus says he's talking about water, he's talking about thirst, and the woman has five husbands. There's nothing new under the sun, you see. And thirst is really, really powerful. It drives us. It impacts us in a very significant way. And yes, there is physical thirst, but there is a thirst that is greater than physical thirst. There is a spiritual, emotional thirst that surpasses any physical thirst that you and I can have. But we know just from, from the physical realm that thirst is powerful. Here's the definition of thirst. We'll pray in a moment. But look at this definition. It begins with to feel the need to drink. But then it says to desire strongly. It means vehement desire. So in 2007 during the Chicago uh, 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 Marathon, they ran out of water. And one of our staff members actually ran the marathon that year. And I found out that people were coming out of their homes. Actually, someone died because of a lack of water. People were running out of their homes, bringing bottles. They were buying water from everywhere. It was a, it was a catastrophe. I mean, it was a horrible thing. But anyway, one of our staff members was running, uh, 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 and uh, they saw a bottle on the floor. Someone took a bottle, drank, and then they threw the bottle, and there was like half of, of the water. And they just picked up that bottle. They didn't care about babas, germs, nothing. They just took that thing and they drank it down because let me tell you, when you're thirsty, you're thirsty. You know what I'm talking about? And so they didn't go, eh, germs. No, no, they just drank that thing down. You know what I mean? And thirst is powerful. Thirst is really, really powerful. But what this passage is telling us is that thirst actually surpasses just the physical. Thirst is really spiritual. And before we pray, here's my question. Look at me, everyone. What are you thirsting for? It's a very important question to ask yourself. 
Because your thirst impacts the focus of your life and the direction of your life. And your thirst impacts how you are trying to satisfy yourself. And what we're going to discover today is there's only one who can truly satisfy our thirst. And his name is Jesus. He's the one who can give us the rivers of living water. So there's some things that I believe God wants every person here, even if you're a Christian, God wants every person here to think about uh, in regards to what we're thirsting for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this time that we can spend together. We thank you, Lord, that already we know that you will travel a great distance just to have a personal meeting with us. And Lord, today as you zero in on our hearts, oh God, as you zero in on our thirst, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. God, help us today to receive everything that you are desiring to give us. And we thank you that what you give is living water. So bless this word, bless the remainder of our time together. Meet us in a, in a profound and powerful way, I pray. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen and amen. So he's saying three very important, very powerful things about thirst that I just want to walk through in the next few moments. First of all, Jesus is highlighting that thirst is perpetual. It is perpetual. Perpetual means that it's an ongoing Thing. Thirst is always going on. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be, everyone say these two words, thirsty again. Okay. Thirst is something that is perpetual. It's an ongoing thing. People are constantly driven, every culture, every generation, driven by thirst. Can I tell you, some people try to deny that they're thirsty. Listen to me. If you're one of those people, I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. Well, you're just denying your emotions. You're denying the need of your spirit. Every single person has thirst. Our culture is shaped and driven by thirst. Strangely enough, this past Thursday, the Today Show put, put on a quick two-minute, uh, um, uh, whatever you call it, segment um, where they, they interviewed the head, the guy who founded Facebook. And he talks about the fact that Facebook was created with our thirst in mind. Look, watch this. Look, this will just be... A couple minutes. This is all new material in a new interview. Former Facebook president Sean Parker is making some bold claims that the social network was purposefully created to exploit our psychological vulnerabilities and get you addicted. The Facebook is cool. That's what it's got going for. Yeah. In the movie The Social Network, Justin Timberlake plays Sean Parker, the slick and savvy founding president of Facebook. Now the real Sean Parker is speaking out in an eye-opening interview about the dark side of the site he helped create. It probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. It, God only knows what it's doing to, to our children's brains. Speaking to the news site Axios, Parker says Facebook and its sister app, Instagram, were purposely designed to hook users in. That thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time 
and conscious attention as possible. The inventors, creators understood this consciously and we did it anyway. Today, over 80% of Americans connect on social media, but surveys show overuse can be harmful, especially to kids, negatively impacting their relationships, school performance, and sleep. I see a heavy addiction. It is very, very parallel to Las Vegas and slot machines. There's a quick surge of dopamine to the brain, and it makes kids want more. 18-year-old Carly Duffy has 2,600 Instagram followers and says it feels like a full-time job. It distracts a lot of schoolwork and feels like you're in your own little world and you don't really see reality. For some users, psychologists have even coined a new term, Facebook depression, with social media use leading to feelings of jealousy, isolation, and despair. Another unintended consequence, says Parker, of a social network now a billion people wide. It's a social validation feedback loop. You're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. Facebook and Instagram did not respond to our request for comment. Experts say the best advice... Of course they did not respond. Exploiting a psychological, I want to add to that, spiritual vulnerability of the human condition. So here's... Here's what I'm saying. You show me a person who can't be at rest with themselves, someone who's constantly driven, endlessly busy, endlessly on the phone, endlessly on the news, endlessly checking, you know, endlessly having to post. You show me a person who's obsessed with these things, and I'll show you a person who's on the verge of addiction if they're not addicted already. How many know Christians are not supposed to be addicted to anything because Jesus is our peace? How many would say amen? Amen. But the truth of the matter is our entire culture is shaped around us expressing our thirst, but in a lot of ways towards the wrong thing. Now let me just say this because I know some people might be tempted to throw rocks at me right now and tomatoes because I'm talking about Facebook and Instagram. I'm not saying don't ever use Facebook. And I'm not saying don't ever use uh, uh, Instagram. I was talking to someone about this. Look, if you use Facebook and Instagram in a sense to connect with people or stay connected with people, that's fine. But if you use it for validation, you're on the dark side of this thing. See, these things are like a knife. How many know whenever you're using a knife, you need to be careful because you can cut yourself. But what is, what is all, we're talking about a cultural phenomenon that is geared around people being thirsty. If you look on the news over the last, uh, I would say, 60 days or so, one of the things that Hollywood is teaching us, Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, and all of these people. One of the things that Hollywood politicians now, okay, uh, Washington, D.C., Hollywood, even though these people may have money, even though they may have big palaces that they live in, even though they may have incredible talent and amazing platform, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., that is the land of thirst. People Thirsty, 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 so thirsty that people with all of this stuff are willing to destroy their own career over it. Careers are being destroyed because of, quote, thirst. Because of, in this case, in this case, sexual thirst. 
Listen, everyone has thirst. It may not be sex. It may not be Instagram, but every single person. Don't deny it. We all have thirst. That's why Jesus put this in the Bible. And we can blame people and we can point fingers, but Jesus basically zeroes in and says, hey, everybody. And let me just say this. When you have misdirected thirst, it can be paralyzing, perplexing, destructive, debilitating. All because we're just chasing the wrong thing. What are you thirsting for? Everyone thirsts for something. So the scripture teaches us that thirst is perpetual. Here's the second thing. It teaches us that thirst is personal. This is kind of another side of this. And look at what Jesus Look at what happens in this exchange. This is kind of like a universal reality. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get everyone. You see, everyone gets thirsty. Thirst is a very personal thing. And, and Jesus understands. Listen, Jesus understands that it's personal. And so here's what he does. He travels all of this distance and then he makes a categorical statement. The categorical statement is this. It doesn't matter what you're thirsting for. There is only one who can truly satisfy your thirst. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give us rivers of living water and satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. He is the one, and I praise God because he actually travels to meet us. He went to meet this woman who no one else would meet because that's the kind of God we serve. He offers us an encounter with him. Where did you meet Jesus? This woman met Jesus at the well. I met Jesus on a baseball field. And Jesus meets people in the car. He meets people all over the place. It doesn't matter. And why does he meet us, brothers and sisters? Because he's offering an encounter with us. An encounter that satisfies our thirst. Such an awesome thing. I don't know about, about you, but it's such an awesome thing to have an encounter with Christ. Christianity is an encounter religion. It's a living meeting with the living God. It's real. And he comes to meet us and we have access. You ever go, go down and pray and you go down and pray and you're not feeling so good and then you read something and then you come away from that moment. You're like, ah, so good. If the, if the singers could come, you know, uh, um, my wife and I are robe people. We wear robes. Our kids tease us. They say we're old fogies, but I don't care because I like my cozy robe myself. And, um, and I wake up in the morning, got my robe on. I go downstairs and I read my Bible. Then Chrissy wakes up a little later. When she wakes up, I go upstairs to say good morning to her. She's got her robe on. I've got my robe on. And a lot of times she'll say, she'll say early. It could be like 6 in the morning, quarter to 5, 6.15, depends on the day. She goes, How's your morning going? And there are lots of mornings where I go, oh, man, awesome. But it's not because the espresso was fantastic. Even though I have great espresso. It's because I opened my Bible and I went and I read something. 
and it was like water for my soul. How many love when Jesus gives you a drink of living water? Could I see your hands? There's nothing like it. How many say amen? So powerful. So powerful. And he offers it to everyone. Listen, remember the Google. Remember the, the, the drill down. Right to her. Right to him. Right to every single person. The Holy Spirit wants to zero in on your life. And he zeroed in all the time. How zeroed in? He says, I know how many hairs you have on your head. I got it numbered. Okay. I mean, no, that's dialed in. Am I right? And it's personal. And it's a personal encounter with us. And then here's the last thing. Here's the, the, the last issue and then we're going to pray. Thirst is perpetual. Thirst is personal. But in a sense, if you want to experience living water, you have to understand that there has to be a trade because thirst can be very particular. Thirst is particular. He told her he would have had a different conversation with every person here. But her, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you know what, you're right. The fact is you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. You've, you've, caught, you've kind of spoken pretty true there. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, look, you've been thirsting for love. And you focused on a man. You see? And you can focus on a man and focus on a man and focus on a man. I'm telling you right now, ladies, there is no man on the planet that can truly satisfy the thirst of your heart. There's no woman on the planet that can satisfy. How many know only Jesus, only Jesus? Only Jesus can satisfy that thirst. There's no experience there's no position, none of those things. But we all have a particular thirst. Every person here has things that they have a tendency to move towards as if that thing is going to satisfy your thirst. But how many know if it ain't Jesus, it won't fully satisfy? That's what he's saying to us today. Can I tell you, if Jesus is the one who's satisfying your heart, it'll make marriage a lot easier. If you're looking to Jesus to satisfy and, and, and fill your heart, it'll make all relationships, it'll make everything easier because you're not looking to things that can't satisfy to satisfy. You're going to the right place. There's only one place. It's only found in one person. Satisfaction. Is very particular. It's only found in Jesus. You know, as we go to close, I was thinking about this whole concept of thirst. And, you know, when people get thirsty, two things. When people get thirsty, number one, when people get thirsty, they can actually see a mirage. They, if people have been in the desert, actually we did some research the, one of the great museums of the world, um, in early 1900s, they paid over $300,000 in the early 1900s. This is over 100 years ago. Because someone was traveling by boat and they saw a landmass. And they sent explorers and they spent all of this money. 
and they went and the, 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 the ship was, the, there was a shipwreck, all of this hassle, all of this trouble. And finally they kept, kept looking and then somebody realized that guess what it was? It was a mirage. All of this energy, all of this loss, and it turns out that it was a mirage. And then the guy actually got in a boat and he went to the place where he spotted it. And sure enough, from that vantage point, because of the, the light of the sun and the way, they, it looked just like a landmass, but there was nothing there. How many people are living chasing a mirage? Over and over and over. Saying, there it is, it's going to satisfy me. There it is, it's going to satisfy me. How do you know? It's not going to satisfy me. Only Jesus can. I think it's important to point out today. Notice that Jesus talks to this woman who has five husbands, okay. And she tells a lie, but she's also living a, 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 an inappropriate life. And Jesus doesn't make w one bigger issue of sexual sin than lying. We have a, right now... Sexual sin is on the forefront of our, of our culture, okay? And you know what? It's about time we started facing these things because these things are not good. But just remember this, okay? When we think about Hollywood, when we think about Washington, D.C., for Jesus, the sexually immoral person and the liar, it's the same thing. Sin is sin is sin. If you're here and you've been tripped up by lying, God will forgive you. If you're here and you've been tripped up by, 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 by sexuality and, and, and you've given yourself to things and you're ashamed, have no shame. The blood of Jesus is here to forgive, to wash clean, and to give a new start. That's the kind of God that we serve. Don't let the devil tell you one sin is worse than the other because the blood of Jesus washes it all clean. And the way he resolves the true depth of the issue is he says, come on, come ask me and I will give you rivers, rivers of living water. You know, this passage of scripture is used for people who are non-Christians, but I believe it's for people who are Christians. Because I think Christians can get spiritually dehydrated. I think Christians could know things about Jesus but lose their sense of relationship. If you've lost your sense of encounter, if you're not really meeting with God on a regular basis, sometimes our lives begin to be driven by this thirst or that thirst. Do we know Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Yes. But that time of connecting, that time of having him fill your heart and satisfying your, your thirsty soul, those things drift away very easily for all of us. And, and we become spiritually dehydrated. And how many know? If that's the case, Jesus is ready to say, hey, come, I want to give you rivers of living water. All day, all day, I feel like there's been a fresh invitation from Christ to say, come. We want to give you rivers of living water. Let's lift our hands to him right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to forget about everything except you and Jesus right now. Some of us, we need a fresh drink of living water. We need to be willing to switch from what we've been chasing, what we've been focusing on. But if we'll just make that switch and say, Lord, you're the one that satisfies. How many know he's ready to offer what we need? 
I need, I need to drink deep from God because, because I've, been, I've been shifting and, and being tempted or pushed or driven one way or the other to the left or to the right. And today I want to set all of those things aside and I want to come and have an encounter. I need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Hallelujah. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. I want you to slip out of your seat. If you're here today and you feel like I need a fresh drink from God, I need to drink something deep, slip out and make your way close to the altar. We're going to pray with you. We're going to pray together. Come on, everyone. You're all I want. You're all I want. You're all
Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, everyone, put your hand on your heart today. Father, we come by the invitation of Christ himself. We come in the name of Jesus. Lord, we put our hands on our hearts. And Lord, we hold our hearts up to you as if our hearts were a cup. And we ask that you would fill our cup today, oh God. God, we ask that you would fill us with rivers of living water today, oh God. Some of us have grown, oh God, thirsty. We're, we're dehydrated, Lord, because... We haven't been meeting with you and receiving from you, God. And Lord, we've been, we've been chasing things, oh God. We've been chasing people and, and experiences and positions, Lord. And we know today, Lord, that none of those things will fully satisfy. Only you, Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you would fill our cup. We know that only you can satisfy our soul. Lord, I pray that today, everyone in my hearing, Lord, even those that are gonna eventually listen on the web, oh God. God, I pray that in this moment in time that we would shift our thirst directly towards you, oh God. Lord, today we are thirsty for you, oh God. Today we are thirsty for what you can offer us, oh God. You and you alone. Father, we shift our hearts towards you. And we say, fill our cups, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you travel a great distance just to have a personal meeting with us because of your great love for us. God, I pray that the overflow of this altar time the overflow of this meeting, that it would continue, Lord. That let it, let it spill over into the night, oh God. God, should you tarry, oh God, when we wake up tomorrow, help us to wake up and, and put our cup before you, Lord, so that you can fill it again, oh God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in us and for the overflow that's going to come from us, from you. We love you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Can we put our hands together and bless the Lord?